All right. Hey, good morning. Uh, I want to welcome you here. My name is Bill Stafiri. I'm the senior pastor here at, at Beach Point. Uh, in your bulletin, there's an invitation to something special next week called Next Steps. And it's a, I, I want to invite you because I'll be leading it. It's a chance for me to uh, spend some time with those of you who might be new or newer to the church. Maybe, maybe even you've been here for five years, but you've never quite taken that next step of getting involved here at Beach Point. Uh, one of the things that we like to say is we, we do church as a team. You'll hear words like team and family. And this is a chance to invite you to be a part of the team. And so if you're newer to Beach Point or you just have never taken that, you've kind of been spectator, but you realize being participants is a really important part, I would love to spend the morning with you next uh, Sunday. You can note on the Connect card, just write in other, just put uh, next steps on there, or you can go to beachpoint.com and you can sign up. But it's just a chance for a small group of us. We, we kind of close it off early, so uh, get in early. Uh, but to spend some time with you and just invite you into the life of Beach Point and be part of our team. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, let's, uh, we're going to do this. Jump. Uh, I want to invite you to turn right to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We are beginning a brand new series today called The Walk. And we're going to be going through the book of James. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. Uh, think about this. Uh, healthy things tend to grow. So uh, one thing is, I, we, we kind of see this a little bit is uh, we're having a little bit of a baby boom here at Beach Point. There's a lot of babies being born right now. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of babies born on our staff, uh, either babies or grandbabies. In fact, in the last year, we've had two new babies, two new grandbabies, and we have a baby and a grandbaby on the way. So there's a, there's a lot going on there. In fact, this is our newest baby to the staff collection. This is a, a grandbaby. This is Harper uh, that was just born this last week. And so uh, Jan, who works in our office, she's just like, her feet don't touch the ground right now. So she's a little excited. But think about this. When you're, when you're having a child, uh, parent or grandparent, you, and you go to those little meetings, you're always, you're, you, you start to live in this world of percentiles, don't you? Like, and, and then when your child is born, you're always kind of wondering, because you're always wondering about two things, length and weight, length and weight. We're kind of trying to figure out, is the baby growing? And it's kind of a signal to us, if the baby's growing, then hope, that means that it's a sign of health. And if the baby's not, or whatever, we kind of start asking questions. It doesn't mean it's not, uh, the baby's not healthy, but we start asking questions, because healthy things tend to grow. And so, uh, and growing things tend to point to health. Uh, and so we see this. Uh, the same is true in our spiritual lives that when we are, are working towards healthy things in our spiritual lives, that we will see growth. You will see growth and maturity in your life. I love the way that John Ortberg puts it. He says this. He says, the Christian gospel insists that, the tr- that transformation really is possible. Never easy, rarely quick, but possible. It begins to happen anytime people become intensely serious about learning from Jesus how to arrange their lives. I love that line. Uh, when people become intensely serious about uh, uh, learning from Jesus how to arrange their lives, that's, that's who we are at Beach Point. That's who we want to be. We want to be serious about learning from Jesus how to arrange our lives. And that's why in this next season, uh, we're going to look at this, this uh, short little book in the Bible called James, this letter James writes. Uh, we have, over the last year, we've gone wide. We've tried to help you see and understand the, the Bible from a, a, a wide perspective, the big God story. You've, you've been, if you've been with us, we've helped you see this, this kind of big grand story, this one story of, of you being made for relationship, God, God working to redeem and restore that relationship, that there's, that there's a destiny for us who are in relationship to be with God forever. And so we, as we see that, 
uh, we begin to, as we're seeing this, uh, we want to go a little deeper into things, uh, using that as a guide for us. And it's going to be super important as we're going into the book of James, because the book of James is, is just an interesting uh, book for us to learn about how to learn, how to grow, how to walk this life with God, with Jesus, especially, especially in difficult seasons. So now the book of James, it's going to challenge us of what genuine faith really looks like. And that's important for us. We, we tell you that our mission here at Beach Point is to develop you into an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. We want your faith to be genuine, the real deal. And that means that you're going to, God, we, we believe that God's going to be working to develop you. He's going to always be working to, to complete you, to mature you, to, to, to grow you into all that he, he wants you to be, all he dreams you to be. So we're going to look at this book of James, and it's going to be challenging. I'm just going to put that out there because I think it's good to know that. Uh, I feel a little bit like your, your uh, 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 like personal instructor at a, at a gym or something. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be happy with him and it's all over, okay? And you're like, oh, geez, I hate this guy already, okay? It's a little like that. But I promise you, this will be good. This will be good. So James, James, there's a lot. When you're reading through the Bible, you're going to see the name James a, a number of different times. And sometimes you're like, I, I've counted at least three already in going through the New Testament. So who is James? James, who writes this letter, is the brother of Jesus. So born to Mary and Joseph a few years after I don't know, how many of you in here are a second or third born? Just raise your hands here, okay? Imagine Jesus as your older brother. You're like, oh my goodness. I mean, I mean, he, talk about having older, you know, like uh, second born syndrome. I mean, every time mom calls, Jesus comes. He's, he's always doing everything that's right. But James is like us. He's got a sinful nature. You know, Jesus Fully man, fully God. He's, you know, he is who he is. But James, he's like us. He's got a sinful nature. He struggles. You wonder if at 30, when Jesus leaves and begins his ministry, James is like, finally, get this guy out of the house. Like, I get his room, mom. Like, like, finally, so happy for that to happen. Now, with this, it's interesting because what we see is if you read the four different accounts of Jesus' life, in the, what we call the gospel accounts, uh, these, these lives of Jesus, uh, this life of Jesus, what we see is that James and, and his brothers and sisters, they, they didn't believe. His family did not believe in Jesus. In fact, at times, what we see is that they, they're a little worried about Jesus. They want to kind of pull him off the stage and, and protect him from himself. And so we, we see that, that uh, think about this, what takes someone who not only doesn't believe, but is maybe even embarrassed by Jesus to this guy we're about to read? And you're going to see it's, he's a little intense about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What changed in James's life? I think one line tells us everything. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. I'll put it here on the screen. It says this, then he appeared to James. 1 Corinthians 15 is this amazing chapter about the resurrection of Jesus, and it tells about who Jesus appeared to. And then there's this one phrase, then he appeared to James. Now I always wonder, what was that encounter like? What was it like for Jesus to appear to his brother? Was he the big brother like some of you big brothers would have been, where he was kind of hiding behind a rock and then, ha! Yeah, I'm back! Yeah! And he's like, or was it, I think it was probably much more tender. 
It seems like it was a very big priority of Jesus to reveal himself in, in a way to James that, that just completely transformed his heart. And, and everything we know about Jesus seems to suggest that Jesus would have been very, very tender in that way. But here's what we know about James. Um, like, the resur- like what we believe the resurrection can do for anyone is it, it changes everything. And in Acts chapter 1, James is one of those few disciples who have gathered together. There's 120 of them who are ready to get up and change the world. And James is one of those disciples. So by the time this letter comes, when he writes this, um, James, James becomes a leader in the church. And so as we're reading through the book of Acts, we see that James becomes one of, its, uh, of the church's first leaders. He's a significant leader. And then uh, if you remember, if we were going through the story, what we saw is this, is that as the church began, there was always a pressure, but then the pressure got a little intense. And the pressure got intense in chapter 7. Stephen was martyred. He was killed. And then after that, a few chapters later, we see that the persecution got so strong that all the disciples, even though the, the church was growing, they dispersed all over. Now, this was not new. If you were a Jew, you'd gone through, they, they knew the history of their exiles uh, from previous. They're dispersed all over, and Acts eleven nineteen 19 talks about how they were, they were scattered all about. And so when James writes this letter, he is writing to these, these followers of Jesus who have scattered all over. It's a, it's a letter that hopefully would circulate all over the place, and people would get a hold of it. These little house churches get a hold of it. And to think about how to live out their life in faith, especially now that the persecution was making their life much more difficult. So beyond just the normal difficulties of living faith, a new faith, uh, they were facing all kinds of trouble. There was famine that was breaking out. Then on top of that, uh, they found themselves... uh, 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 people boycotting their shops. They found that their children and their spouses were being hassled. The citizens hated them because they were Jews. The Jews hated them because they were Christians. And so these Jewish Christians were like, where do I stand? What's going on? But in the, in the midst of all of this, there's these questions that are rising in their hearts. Why is this happening? Why is God allowing this to happen? Have you ever been in that place where you, you're, you're in a difficult season and you're asking, God, why? Why is this happening? Where are you? Where are you? I need you right now. And you have this sense of, of kind of being abandoned by God. And this is what they began to feel. But here's the thing I want you to see. This letter is incredibly pastoral. So 14 different times, James talks about my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, my, the, the brethren. He, he refers to them. He has, his mindset is not just to, to speak down to them, but to gather them together, to speak to their hearts, to love them and care for them. And the first part of this letter, James goes right at this kind of core issue. You're going through all these things. And so let's talk about what is it that God could be doing and how could God be using this? And so let's, here's our big idea. I hope you'll see this uh, woven through the message today. But our, our kind of, what we see as a big idea today is this, is that God can use the trials we face to build in us his character. We're all going to face difficult seasons. And James is going to show how God is going to use trials. That whatever trials we're facing, he's going to use those in our lives to build in us his life, his character. So when we're tempted and say, why, God? Where are you, God? How, why is this happening? 
that we can see. Uh, James wants to answer those questions for us. He wants us to see, I want, let me show you what God is up to so I can build confidence in you. So let's begin in verse 1, and we uh, read these words. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now let's stop there for a moment. The first thing that we see that James challenges us to see, he challenged them to do is, if, if you're going to figure out, if you want to discover how God is using these things in your life, the first thing you got to do is you got to change your perspective. You have to change your perspective. If we're going to grow through trials, the first thing that we have to do is we have to expect them. We have to expect them. James does not say, if you face, but he says, whenever you face. And so he wants them to understand part of this is one of the things they have to do in your heart is you have to be prepared to face these difficult things. James says you will be encountered by them. It means that you will be surrounded by them. And, and one of the things that he's helping them see is you're not in this situation because of dumb choices you've made or bad things that you've decided. What he's helping them see is, look, this just happens sometimes in life that you get surrounded by things that you have no control over and, and they create pressure in your life. This happens. And James says, be prepared. These things are going to happen. They're going to be many kinds. They're going to be trials of many kinds. It's a, it's a word that's used, the same word is, is used in Genesis to describe Joseph's coat. I don't know if you remember the story of Joseph, his multicolored coat. He says, look, you're going to face trials of many kinds. And all, so some, sometimes the trial is going to feel like, it's not going to be that, it's not going to feel that big. It's going to be one of those things of, if I can just get to next week. Deep breath. We could just get through this week. Sometimes they're, they're like that, and other times they're immense pain. They're immense pressure. And James says, be prepared that things like this are going to come into your life, and sometimes God's going to allow these things in your life. So he says, you got to be ready for this. Now, for them, they were facing persecution. They were facing trials. For us, it could look like loss of job, or divorce. It could be the trouble that we might have with our kids and the struggle we're having. It might be a financial struggle that we're going through. Illness, relational problems we don't have much control over. And so he says all kinds of things we're going to go through that God's going to allow into our lives. And I would just want you to know you have to be ready for this. You have to be ready to expect this. But he's, notice what he says, that, when he says this, that you will face this. And, and, and James's message is no different than Jesus's. So remember when Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, he ended it by saying, so when the storms come, not if the storms come, when the storms come, put my words into practice. He said, uh, remember the Apostle Paul, a couple of weeks ago we saw this, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, if you're going to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. You will face pressure. So some of the things you're going to face in your job and with friends and in relationships, troubles you have, disciplining your kids, sometimes it's going to come because you're just trying to live a godly life and the people around you do not like what you're about. And James says, I need you to expect that. But, but beyond just expect it, 
Your attitude also must be one of joy. He says, consider it joy or count it all joy. Now, let's be honest. Um, We do not live in a culture that considers it joyful when you encounter trouble, do we? I mean, this, we live in a culture, especially here in Orange County, of immense comfort. Some of you, I all have to, to tell you, it, like you have different sides of a bed that have remote controls on them to adjust it just right. You have seat warmers to make sure your backside is just the perfect temperature as you drive down the street. I mean, this is who we are. We, we, we embrace comfort. And so when someone says to us, hey, When these difficult things come, embrace it. Be joyful about it. Why, we see, because God is up to something. So are we supposed to say, well, I just found out I've got cancer. I'm supposed to be happy about that? I'm supposed to be joyful about my spouse losing their job? That seems a little little wrong. Philip Yancey is a brilliant writer. He says it this way. I think he, he gets better to the point of trying to understand what this means. He says, rejoicing in suffering does not mean Christians should act happy about tragedy when pain and pain when they feel like crying. Such a view distorts honesty and true expressions of feelings. Christianity is not phony. The Bible spotlight is on the end result. The use God can make of suffering in our lives. Before he can produce that result, however, he, needs, he first needs our commitment of trust in him. And the process of giving him that commitment can be described as rejoicing. Rejoicing, as we're going to see, is this process of just saying, I take joy knowing you're in it. I take joy knowing you're with me. That you're, you're accomplishing Something And so notice what he's saying. He says, consider it. It's, it's an accounting term. He says, calculate something. He, he, he wants us to, to weigh it. You're going through something and it's hard. Embrace it and understand that these things happen. But here's where you're going to find joy. God is up to something. He's not going to waste it. He's going to work in it. He's going to be in it. And he's going to produce something from it. The joy comes in knowing that a good God is in it with us. James says these trials have purpose. So that word trial there means a a testing that is going to produce something in the end. So things come into our lives that God allows, that he knows that in the end this can produce something really, really good for you and for me. And so he allows that to happen. And James says that if we learn to stand in it, if we can respond to it with a sense of endurance, that we're going to grow. We're going to become healthier, stronger in our faith. And if we, if we learn to run from those things, then we will become flabby Christians. We are like athletes. We, we need this. We need the, the, the heavy training so that uh, it will prepare us for victory. Every trial that we go through, we need to see how God is using this as preparation for greater things in our life that he's planned for us. Notice verse 3, what he says. He says, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's a key word there. It means the ability to to stand up under the weight of something. So uh, in your mind, try to think of... uh, uh, 
I can't imagine you do this much, but if you had, in their culture, they would have thought of like a donkey or oxen or some kind of beast where you're placing all this weight on. Uh, Now I guess it's a Dodge Ram truck or whichever truck is your truck. But it's the ability to put all this weight, this pressure on, and the ability to stand up under that weight. This is what God is building in you. One, uh, One scholar says it this way, it's not just that ability to bear it, it's the ability to turn those things into greatness and glory for God. Henry Cloud wrote a book called Integrity, and he talked about uh, people who learn to do this. And he said this, he says, fixing a marriage, a company, one's own performance, an addiction or depression, a failure, a relationship, even a physical injury are all possible and done successfully every day by people of character. But these people have oriented themselves to a basic reality that there is no gain without pain. In the end, the shortcut is always the longest route. The people of character know this, and it has become a part of their makeup. It is the way they think and the way they are. And this is what James is trying to build in us, an understanding that you can see this as, as good, that God is doing something good for you, in you. And so how do we as believers turn troubles, uh, our troubles, how do we rise above these troubles in everyday life? He says we, we, we have this deliberate attitude of joy and this comes by being mindful that God is in it with us, that he's working, that we are invited to cooperate with him, to walk in it with him and to think about what God could accomplish through them. And he says, notice what he says, if, if you let this finish, let perseverance Perseverance, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is God's goal. And so he's saying, let it have its full effect. Don't leave early. Don't quit when it hurts. Don't quit early. And this is our temptation, right? Is to give up early or just when it, when it starts to hurt, we, we pull back. We give in too early. I've been inspired. We have girls in our high school ministry that are on our Fountain Valley High School girls swim team. And they did something this year that hasn't been done in 20 years. They won the Sunset League title. And a significant accomplishment. The Sunset League is incredibly competitive, outstanding athletes. And so to win league is a big deal. And so I asked some of the girls, I said, so what did it take? What did it take to, to get to that point? It meant waking up every day to show up at practice at 5.30 in the morning, okay? You're 15 years old. You don't even know what 5.30 in the morning is, okay? But 5.30 in the morning till 7.30 in the morning, they swam. And then after all their classes, they went back to the pool and they swam again. Four to 6,000 yards a day, 240 laps a day. I'm like, Why? 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 Who would do such a thing? What makes you, what motivates you to do that? And it is, it's the goal. It's the goal of winning. It's the goal of the team. It's it's doing it with each other that brought them out again and again. You and I want titles without pain, without testing, without training. 
and it, and it doesn't work that way. We, we know that gold, when it is refined, it's the flame that removes the impurities, that, that increases its value. Think of all that Job went through, all the trials he went through. And he said these words, he says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. James says, have joy because notice what he says, he's perfecting you. It means to bring you to a place of full development. He says he is completing you. It is to be uh, one who has all its parts, therefore whole. So is there something missing in your life? Don't be surprised if God allows difficulty in there to help you grow, to help perfect you, help complete you. Jerry Bridges, I think, is right. He writes, we can be sure that the development of the beautiful Christ-like character will not occur in our lives without adversity. We're to look beyond the adversity, the trials, and see instead God, who is present, who is working, who loves us enough that he wants to see our maturity, our growth, our completion, our perfection. And so when we see his presence, we're reminded that we do not do this alone. Notice, this is what James wants them to see. This is our second point. He says, seek God's wisdom. Seek God's wisdom. You are not to face these trials alone in your own power, your own strength, and certainly your own wisdom. But verse 5 says, if you lack, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, uh, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. He says, if you don't know what, now now just this is, I know we're in final season for colleges and high schools. This is not the the verse you pray before the final comes, okay? Uh, You said if I lack wisdom, okay? No, this, notice the connection here. You're going through trials. You don't understand what you're going through or why you're doing it or what God's trying to do. And James says, then ask, ask God. Think of it this way. Uh, Think about pilots. I mean, think how accomplished you have to be to be a pilot flying a metal box across the world. Okay, now don't think about this while you're in the air. It will create an anxiety that's not healthy. But think about how much training goes into, for a pilot goes into their, their, their work before they're ever even allowed to take the plane up into the sky. All that training, all that they've been through, And yet, as as incredible as they are, when it comes time to land the plane, there is a a, a relationship with with a tower, with a wisdom of a perspective to see things that they can't see. And there's a dependency upon that wisdom. And so the next time you're going through something difficult, here's what I want you to do. Look up into the sky. Look for a plane. Ask yourself, am I trying to do this alone? Am I trying to do this in my own wisdom? And if so, stand back and remember this promise. If you lack wisdom, ask God. And notice what James wants to do. He, he goes, look, ask God. And let me tell you why to ask God, because he's so good. He's, he's generous. It, it means that he, the image is that he spreads a table out before you. 
But not just that, he gives you a, a host of things to pick from. He spreads it all out and then he picks the thing, he, he can give you just what you need. And that he doesn't find fault in you when you come. So when you come to God and say, okay, Lord, so this thing is really tough and I am still struggling with it and I don't quite, he doesn't go, ah, ah. When are we going to get over this? He says, without finding fault. He says, he's good. He's generous. Go to him. Ask. He'll tell you. But, but, but it's so important that we see this. That it's so important that when we, when we do this, he'll give us these answers. Now, how, how might he speak to us? How might we hear this? Certainly as we commit ourselves to being in his word. We're reading scripture and something just the spirit and the word hit us in such a way we know this is what God wanted to show us. We're in life group or we're surrounding our lives with godly people and we hear a word where we know, hey, wow, that wasn't just for my friend. That was God speaking to me. Or maybe it's just in the quiet of our own time with God where we just, in some way, we hear his voice. We just know. I, I mean, it's just one of those crazy things where you know God is trying to whisper into your heart in such a way. We hear his voice. But notice this very last thing. This, this is the, a requirement upon hearing him is that we must act in faith. We must act in faith. Notice what he says, that we, you have to trust his goodness. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. The word faith in the Old Testament is used two times. But James uses it in this tiny little letter 16 different times. It, it means to trust. And so he's saying, look, God will, he will he'll give you wisdom, but you have to trust it. You have to trust it. You have to lean into it. You can't lean on your own understanding. You can't push away his wisdom and say, ah, I'm going to go my own way. Because he says, if you do that, then you're on your own. It won't, his wisdom won't work. So you can't get mad at him because you're still in trouble, because you've, you've, you pushed his wisdom away. Or if you say, yeah, I'm in, but no, I'm not. Yeah, I'm in, but no, I'm not. He says, you guys get it? You're like a wave tossing back and forth. You know that nothing good's going to come from that. He's, he's been impressing upon us over and over in this part of the letter. Trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him. This is not, this is not a message from James to try harder. It's a message to trust him. Rest in him. Listen to him. Humbly we say, what do you want to teach me? Nothing's off limits. What are you trying to do right now? I want your best. I want your best. I want to mature. I want to grow. I want to be complete and mature. One woman, she sat down with her counselor and she was, she was struggling because she... Uh, she just couldn't get things, any sense of order in her life. Her, her house was messy. Her, she couldn't balance her, her budget. She uh, was late all the time. It just all this kind of uh, lack of discipline in her life. Everything felt unorganized. She had herself tested for ADD, negative. She said, I, 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 I make resolutions. I pray. Nothing changes. Nothing seems to last. And so her counselor asked her this question. He, he said this. He says, if, if you told your toddler to try really hard to make dinner, what would happen? 
She said, well, he would fail. Right. Why? Well, because he doesn't have the ability. So how does he get the ability? I suppose she said he would have, uh, he'd have to work on it for a long period of time. And then she stopped. She goes, is this what you're trying to say? And he said to her, he says, in a way, I believe you don't have the ability yet to be self-disciplined. It's not inside of you. So when self-discipline is found wanting, we need other disciplines from outside of us so that, it can t- so that we can take it and develop it. And they began talking about her childhood and how her parents had in many ways kind of done everything for her, that she really had never developed these skills in her. Now, any good parent knows this, that, that, that in some ways that to, to, to build maturity in our kids, discipline is required. We want character to be built without the expectation of, of, of training. It's kind of naive. We are to endure hardship as discipline. And one of the things that we see, we know that good parents do this in a good way. That when we see this happening in our lives, in our spiritual lives, the Bible says, hey, you know this is how, what good parents do. So don't be surprised when God is doing it in your life. Because you know how God sees you? He thinks of you as his children. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says, For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if you're not disciplined, and if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate children at all. Moreover, we have all had parents who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of of spirits and live. Our parents disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so we see God allowing these things, and if he didn't, then we would say, well, then it's because I'm, we don't belong to him. But we know if we, if we belong to him, he's going to allow these things and we can have joy because he's doing something in us, something to mature us, to complete us, to help us grow in us, his character, his likeness. So what are you facing right now? Relational trials, financial trials, physical trials, is there a part of your life right now where you're like, Lord, I just don't get what you're doing? What are you facing? I want you to hear this. Jesus is bigger than your trial. He is bigger than your trial. He is with you in this. He is growing you. He is perfecting you. In fact, one of the things that we know about Jesus is this, is that he experienced the things that we experience. He endured the things we have, we have to endure. And so that we have someone who, who doesn't have sympathy for us in our hardships. He has empathy. He's been there. He's walked in our shoes. He knows what it's like. And so he, we, he will relate to us. So let me ask you to think through this question as we close and we pray. How can you let God use the trials you're facing to grow you, to complete you, to perfect you? Maybe right now it's just a matter of changing perspective. Maybe you just need to embrace, okay, I get it. 
I need to embrace this. I want to find joy in it, not because it feels good, but because I know you're in it. Help me, Lord, change my perspective. Maybe it's wisdom you need. Or maybe you have the wisdom you need. You just need to act in faith. What is it that you need? How can you use these trials to let God grow you? Notice verse 12. It says this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That doesn't mean if you endure, you'll be saved. It means you'll experience the reward of perseverance if you, if you, if you endure, if you, hold, if you stand up under, if you go through the process, that, that you will experience the blessing of his life, his abundant life for you here now and forever. And so let's pray. Let's pray together. He will stand with you. He will bless you with wisdom. He will help you persevere. And so I want to give you a moment of silence just to turn your struggles over to him now. If it's perspective that needs to change, then talk to him. If it's wisdom you need, then ask him. If it's acting in faith, just pray his spirit would embolden you and make you courageous. And let me say this. You do not have to do this life alone. If you are here and you have not become a follower of Jesus, this is not about being a church person. This is about being followers of Jesus. If you are not, if you're doing this life alone and you're doing trials on your own in life, you don't have to. The God of the Bible is inviting you into a relationship with him. And so in this quiet moment, I invite you to just open your heart and your life to him and say, Lord Jesus, come in. I receive you. I want you. Cleanse me, fill me. Let's do this life together. Today I give you my life. Today I give you my heart. And so let's take a moment to pray and then we'll sing.